Well, good morning or good afternoon, depending on when you're watching this video. I want to wish you a happy Easter, a happy Resurrection Sunday, uh, as we celebrate uh, the Lord's resurrection, the, the new life that he has given us. Uh, when Jesus was risen from the grave, he brought in the new creation. Uh, the beginning of the new creation uh, has started and will uh, reach its fullness when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Uh, and we look forward to that day. And uh, probably for the first time since 1918, uh, with the Spanish flu, um, God's people haven't been able to meet together on Easter Sunday. So it's kind of, kind of amazing to think about. Uh, but that doesn't make Jesus' resurrection any less real. Um, whether we are together or whether we are kind of the church scattered uh, in our homes, uh, we are able to celebrate the reality that Jesus uh, not only died for us, like we remembered on Good Friday, but he has risen again. Uh, so I just want to um, just welcome you as, you're, as uh, we begin this time of, of family worship this week. And I would just like us to begin with a word of prayer as we just uh, celebrate this morning um, with each of our families uh, Christ's resurrection. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not only a crucified Messiah, but you are a living Messiah. Lord, uh, death was conquered at the cross. Lord, you were buried, but you rose again from the dead. And Lord, that same newness of life that, that raised you from the dead is the same newness of life that has broken into our hearts, that has given us new life. And one day when you return, we'll give us new bodies as we uh, will forever be with you in a glorified body. Uh, Lord, we thank you that no matter what circumstances uh, may look like in, in each of our lives, Lord, we know that we serve a risen Savior, that the best is, is yet to come because you have been raised from the dead. Lord, we pray for uh, the many, all of the churches that are around our nation, around the world, that, that are not able to meet together. God, we pray that, that there would still be a joyous celebration in every home uh, that is celebrating Christ's resurrection. Lord, we pray for one of our sister churches specifically, like uh, we do in our morning worship services. Lord, we pray for God's family fellowship, that, that you would bless them, you would, you would be providing for the people there, that you would be encouraging them as they are apart, that they'd be a light in the Wellsboro community. Uh, please be with Pastor Joe Wagner, that you would bless, bless him as he seeks to, to preach the word this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are our risen Savior, and you're coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we prepare our hearts for worship, uh, there are going to be words on the screen for you, and we're going to read this aloud together as, a, as families um, in, in our family rooms. But read with me. This is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. Hallelujah. This is the good news. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. Hallelujah. Christ is our peace, the indestructible peace we now share with each other. Hallelujah. I overcome 
Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 23, verse 50 through 24, verse 9. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision in action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in, linen, in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They then returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They had found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of a sinful man and be crucified on the third day. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. We would ask you now to take a few minutes to pray together as a family. Stand in the light Our God is not dead 
Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of man and angels say, Hallelujah. of scripture that we'll read today is taken from Acts chapter 4, 1 through 22. This is preceded in chapter 3 by Peter and John healing the lame man and his leaping and for joy and praising God, which caught the attention of all of the people around the temple. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, 
they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which, was, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a not notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in, in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to answer you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, this day, Easter Sunday, set aside to celebrate your resurrection. Lord, as we come together in our homes and, and worship together as, as a church family, we just pray that you would uh, bless our time together. Lord, that as we see in this scripture that Peter and John were known by their good deeds. And the only annoyance they had was that they preached Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead. Lord, this message is what we too desire to preach. Lord, we too desire to let all men know that there is salvation in no one other than, than Jesus Christ. Lord, in this time of health crisis in our nation, may we be known as people going around doing good as our Savior did when he was on earth. And that if there's any fault found in us, Lord, we just pray it is because that we give you the glory and praise and we do all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray that you would be with our leaders during this time. We just pray that you would uh, give them wisdom. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with the church during this time, that this would be a, a time for the church to shine as a bright light for all the world to see that Jesus Christ is the only answer. Lord, that as a church that we would realize that all the things that oftentimes conflict with our representation of our Savior, Lord, our, our desire for wealth, Lord, our desire for independence, Lord, the, the many blessings that you've bestowed upon this nation, that all these things will drop away and that we would focus on Jesus Christ, living for him, and that uh, our lives would reflect the message of the good news of the gospel. Lord, we pray that as uh, Pastor Dennis presents this message, 
this morning that you would uh, tenderize our hearts so that we are able to hear what you would have us to know from, from the preaching of your word. Lord, we ask your continued blessing on our church family. Lord, we pray for the needs there. And as a church body, may we support one another, encourage one another, and even during this difficult time, show love for one another. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. We're so glad that you're able to join us. We do uh, celebrate the Lord's resurrection today. Hallelujah, he is risen. We trust that you're having a good Easter with your family. Um, I know we can't have the gatherings like we like to with family or even as a church together, um, but we do look forward to the, the day that we can gather, gather together again as a family because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which only highlights the importance of Jesus being raised from the dead, which is really going to be the heart of our sermon this morning from Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles there at home, uh, open them up to Acts chapter 4. Thank you to Terry, already read the bulk of our text. We will go back into chapter 3 and take a look at the fuller context of our story here with Peter and John. But we're in Acts chapter 4 this morning. In our country right now and even around the world, we're in a time where Man, I've felt like this, and I'm sure you have, after three, four weeks of being uh, self-isolated or quarantined or whatever, wherever you're at and you're watching this, whatever the, the rules and regulations are, we're, we're at a time where we just want this coronavirus and all of its effects to go away. Uh, we, we, it, we want it to be gone. It's messed up our life as we know it. And who knows what it's going to do and, and how it's going to impact things in the future. But we just want it to go away so we can get back to some semblance of normal. We're in the midst of feeling those things right now. But really, this is sort of the way the Jewish religious leaders felt about Jesus' life and ministry. They, they just wanted to put an end to it. They wanted him gone. They wanted him off the scene. And ultimately, this was the, what they were trying to do when they had him crucified. They wanted Jesus and all of the effects of his ministry to just go away so that things could get back to normal in their cities and towns, in their religious life. So we, we think about the life and ministry of Jesus. If we fast forward just two or three months from Jesus' crucifixion and, and then his resurrection, that's where we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 4, just a couple months removed from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so to help us to understand a little bit more and to consider Jesus' purpose in coming, we want to zoom out a little bit so we get a broader view of what, what is taking place in Acts chapter 4 and again why Jesus uh, came so the author of Acts wrote a biography of Jesus, which we know is the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the author, he also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke records for us that the promise about Jesus given to Mary by the angel, if you go back to the birth of Jesus Christ, the angel comes to Mary, says you're going to have a son and the Son is going to be the Messiah. And part of that promise, in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, the angel tells Mary this, his kingdom will have no end. He's going to have an eternal kingdom that, that will last and endure through all of time, above any and every kingdom that would ever exist. Then you go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Luke also records for us what Jesus himself says when Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Now time really doesn't allow us to get into the prophecies about this coming kingdom from the Old Testament and then how it's focused uh, in that direction throughout the rest of the New Testament. But Jesus came... 
not only to see the kingdom of God established, which he says, yes, this was my purpose to preach this kingdom, but not only to see it established, but also Jesus came to reign as king over his kingdom. This was what the religious leaders of Jesus' day tried to stop. And, and, and so in an effort to put this to rest, it was determined that death was the best solution. Death for this supposed king was the best solution to stop this kingdom from advancing. So Jesus was executed on a cross. He was buried. We reflected on that just this past Friday. He was placed in a tomb. And the thought was sort of, well, that takes care of that, right? Wrong. Luke is going to end his biography in, his, in the Gospel of Luke by telling us that Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb, but instead Jesus comes back to life. So Jesus literally dies, and then Jesus literally comes back to life. So with that in mind, Luke then writes the book of Acts. And Acts details for us the rise and the growth of the early church. Here's what happens after Jesus rose again. The early church doesn't grow by the skilled speaking of men. It doesn't grow by precise planning of A-type personalities. It doesn't grow by some technology breakthrough. The church grows because the gospel of Jesus Christ is going out and it's changing lives. And as we share the gospel as a church, as a people, we, we rightfully stress that this good news is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And we would say without his death, we have no hope. And that is absolutely true. But at the same time, this good news also includes the truth that Jesus lives today for his redeemed people. And without his resurrection, we also have no hope. So both the death and the resurrection of Jesus are necessary for a complete and full gospel to be proclaimed. And these early Christians proclaim the death of Christ, but the resurrection this is what we're going to focus on as we move into Acts chapter 4. The resurrection brought power to the message. You, we, we see this, we're going to see this over and over. But if Jesus simply died like many had died before, and Jesus stayed dead, the message dies. There's no hope in a dead Messiah. And this is exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day and going into Acts here in the early church, this is what they were counting on, that Jesus would stay dead. However, Jesus doesn't stay dead. And it's this truth that propels these early Christians out into the world and it propels the kingdom of God to advance and expand. We are going to focus here in chapter 4 but the significance of the resurrection of Jesus in the entire book of Acts can't be understated. At the very beginning in chapter 1, as the disciples are looking to replace Judas as an apostle after Judas hangs himself, in chapter 1, verse 22 of Acts, one of the prerequisites for Judas' replacement is that they were a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Eyewitness. As you continue to go through the book of Acts, you then see explicit references to Jesus being raised from the dead. We see this in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5. We see it in chapter 10, in 13, in chapter 17. Explicit references to Jesus being raised. Then you come to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, and you have the story of Stephen, the first martyr. And at the end of this story, at the end of Acts 7, Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees a risen Jesus. In chapter 9, who meets Saul on the road to Damascus? It is a risen Jesus. 
Then Saul retells this story in chapter 22 and chapter 26. Saul, or what, who we know as Paul, also lets it be known multiple times from chapter 23 to chapter 20, 26 that his imprisonment and his trials are based on the resurrection of the dead, specifically the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Overall, there are 19 direct references to Jesus being raised in the book of Acts. It is a key theme, not only in Luke writing this book, but in the message of the early church. So the argument that I'm making this morning, and I believe Luke would agree with, is this, that the resurrected king is the power of kingdom expansion. The resurrected king is the power of kingdom expansion. And I have three reasons why I believe from chapter four this to be true. That the resurrected king is the power or the fuel that's driving the kingdom of God to expand throughout the world. Three reasons. Number one, a resurrected king brings true healing. So the story of chapter 4, as Terry alluded to earlier, begins in chapter 3. As Peter and John are going to the temple, they, they come to the gate of the temple, and at the gate is this crippled man who's begging for money. But instead of money, Peter says, look, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have I will give you. And he heals this man, and the man is able to walk. The powerful source of this healing is very clear. In chapter 3, verse 6, Peter, as he's pronouncing this healing, he says these words, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. By proclaiming this healing in the name of Jesus, Peter was attributing power to Jesus. And Peter was effectively saying that Jesus is alive and still, excuse me, and still has the power to heal. Peter then clarifies this very thing in chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Peter's talking to the rulers and the elders of the people, and in verse number 9, he says, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying, look, we've been arrested because of this good deed of healing. But it's not just because we've healed a crippled man. That's not why we're arrested. That's not why we have been thrown into prison. We've been thrown into prison because we are saying that this has been done in Jesus' name, that Jesus has healed him. And this is ultimately what was upsetting the religious leaders. It wasn't just that this man was healed, but he was healed in the name of Jesus. The same Jesus that they had thought was dead and buried and done. So what are Peter and John saying here in chapter 4? They are saying not only that, they're not just saying that Jesus has risen, but they're demonstrating it by pronouncing healing in the name of Jesus. Jesus is still healing. And the religious leaders, verse number 16, they, they understand that this is, this, they can't explain it. They say, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. A well-known, remarkable sign has been performed, and notice what he says, what they say, through them, not by them. So the religious leaders realize we're not able to attribute to Peter and John this power to heal, but somebody is working powerful things through them. They can't deny it. 
It's clear. It's visible. And not just to a few people, but to everyone in Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about this. This has hit social media and it's gone viral. They can't deny it. What was done through Peter and John for this man was so well known that there was no backtracking this. And what concerns the religious leaders is that they know people will flock to Peter and John and the message that they're proclaiming because people need to be healed. The crippled man obviously needed to be healed. Verse 22 tells us for over 40 years, no one was able to heal this man. I'm not sure what other means of healing that he had tried, if he went to doctors or, or tried other ways to heal himself of being crippled. But the very fact that he's begging at the gate indicated that all hope in his mind, all hope for healing was an afterthought. It was done. He, he didn't count on it. He wasn't planning on it. So there he was begging for silver and gold. But it wasn't silver and gold that he ultimately needed. Peter offered to him healing. He healed him physically in a way that defied normal medical procedures. But he also offered to this man a spiritual healing, which was his ultimate need. Like all men and women, this man was born sinful, willfully rejecting the creator who made him. And this was exactly Peter's message to the people in chapter 3, verse 19. After this man is healed, Peter then stands up and, and, and he speaks to the crowd and he tells them this, repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Not only was it true that this man, this crippled man, was a sinner before God, but Peter then tells the crowd, you too are in need of repentance because you too have sin that needs to be cleansed. It needs to be healed. So all the crowd was in the same position as this man, as are all of us. Our sin is the spiritual disease that separates us from a holy God. And without a spiritual healing in our lives, the only thing that awaits us is judgment. Your greatest need this morning is perfect spiritual health. I love what it says in chapter 3, verse 16. Peter says, and by this name, talking about Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. We may think that all that matters or all that Jesus came to do was heal or meet our physical needs. But Jesus came to heal us, heal a spiritual disease that each of us have, that spiritual disease of sin that causes separation from God. Jesus came to restore that, to heal us spiritually. And the, and the awesome news about that, because it's, it's not just only the spiritual, just like it's not only the physical, but one day our spiritual healing that we receive by faith in Christ will bring full physical healing as our diseases and our ailments and our poverty and deformities and our disabilities and, and all of those things will be done away with and our bodies will be made new. 1 Corinthians 15. That perfect spiritual healing will one day bring about a full physical healing. This is our hope. And again, looking at chapter 3, verse 16, this healing comes by repentance and faith. Peter makes it even more clear in chapter 4, verse 12, and I, I know we're kind of jumping back between these two passages, between these two chapters. But chapter 4, verse 12, Peter then says, And there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We look to no one else for our spiritual healing. Even in our physical healing, we recognize that King Jesus is in full control. And at times, yes, he uses doctors and medicine, but our focus is ultimately on the future promise of perfect healing. It's only the power of a resurrected king that enables this true healing. So a resurrected king, as I've been uh, wanting to argue this morning, is the power or the fuel of kingdom expansion because a resurrected king brings true healing, which is good news for those who are sick. But number two, a resurrected king brings boldness. The early church was left with nothing else except the message. No building, no technology, no advertising, no status, no power and authority. Nothing. Just a message. But within this message is the power of God. Within this message, all authority is given. Within this message is the door to the spiritual kingdom. And within this message... It's the most eye-catching advertising you will ever see because within this message is a risen Jesus. This was their hope in the early church. This was their confidence. This was their joy. The risen Christ, his gospel is all that the church had, but it was all that they would ever need. These early Christians, they weren't timid. But they weren't obnoxious either. They were bold to proclaim the gospel. And they were bold because their message was alive and true. You see, as Peter and John spoke these words to the people and then to the rulers and those in authority, the weight of a living Jesus and his authority was behind their words. This is more than confidence in their speaking ability or their debating skills. There was a supernatural boldness that verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us when these, when these leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And I love the last part of this verse. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What an awesome statement to say about somebody. Friends, can someone say this about you? When words come out of your mouth, will people be thinking, are they thinking, that's somebody that's been with Jesus. I know my own life. And I know when words, too often the words that come out of my mouth, others would not recognize that I had been with Jesus. Instead, they would recognize that I've been thinking about myself quite a bit. Our words reveal our hearts. And if we spend time with the resurrected king, it will give us boldness no matter what we may face. Peter and John aren't the exception here. These aren't super Christians who have boldness. Verse 31, as you continue through, again, through, through Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and when they prayed, the place that, in which they were shaken, or were, were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. So Peter and John go back to the group of disciples and this group of disciples is speaking with boldness. It's not the elder's job or the deacon's job to be bold in proclaiming the word. Boldness isn't dependent on a personality or our speaking ability or any other earthly characteristics. It's dependent on a resurrected king who gives his people boldness to press on in mission. As we are right now in our culture, we may not be able to have much physical interaction with other people, but we can still boldly share the gospel with those around us. Share with them the hope 
of a living king who has promised eternal life in the face of a disease, in the face of poverty, in the face of anything you want to put out there, we have a boldness to proclaim the good news of a resurrected king. And if this church stops preaching the gospel in word and in, and in deed, in the way that we live, and I'm not just talking about on Sundays as we, we hear a formal message I'm talking day to day. If we are not preaching the gospel, I wonder, are we spending time with the resurrected king? Because time spent with Jesus creates boldness in his people, and it's this boldness that fuels the advancement of the kingdom. So the resurrected king is the fuel the power of kingdom expansion because a resurrected king brings true healing. A resurrected king brings boldness. And the last reason I think we find here in in chapter 4 is a resurrected king brings threats. Perhaps one of the greatest evidences of the power of something or the power of someone is the response from those who are threatened. If something isn't powerful, it's ignored. It's why every year, Steelers fans ignore the Browns. It's why every year, Eagles fans ignore the Redskins. They're not viewed as a threat. So here, the gospel is spreading, the church is growing, lives are changing in Jesus' name, and you get to chapter 4, verse number 1, and resistance comes quickly as they were speaking to the people peter and john are speaking the priest and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came to them it's like whoa what what are you guys doing some people don't like this to some this good news is a threat and it's a threat because it demands submission See, to these religious leaders, if Jesus is alive and he is truly king over his kingdom, then they would be obligated to submit. A resurrected King Jesus is a threat to all other religious, political, and earthly kingdoms. It's a threat because every other kingdom is built on finite beings. That is, people who would one day die. But this kingdom, this kingdom of Jesus is built on an infinite king and even death on a cross can't stop him. That's a problem. That's a huge problem for these religious leaders. Verse number two, they are greatly annoyed. They are disturbed. Why? Notice what verse two says. Because, not because they healed somebody, but because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, just, just off the bat, Sadducees had a problem with the resurrection of the dead. They were the ones in, Acts, in um, Mark chapter 12 who tried to trip, trip Jesus up with questions about the resurrection because they didn't believe in a resurrection. But these other religious leaders saw the threat as well. And the threat was so real to them that they arrested Peter and John in verses 17 and 18 in order that it might spread no further among the people. They decided, let us warn them not to speak, to, let, let them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They threatened them, they warned them, and they warned them Interestingly enough, they're not so much concerned about the healing, but they care who is credited for the healing. Don't tell people that you're doing this in Jesus' name. After that doesn't seem to work, verse 21, they further threaten them, and then because they're afraid of the people, they end up releasing them. But the But the the Sadducees understood what was at stake if Jesus was truly raised from the dead. Because if death can't stop someone, nothing will. And so to these leaders, their religious kingdom was under attack. Their identity was under attack. Their status was under attack. And all that they were living their lives for was being threatened because it was being exposed as a false kingdom. 
with no real power, no real authority. And I think this morning we all can identify with these leaders. A resurrected King Jesus threatens us because we want to be self-sufficient and we aren't. We want to have power and control and we don't. We want life to be about us and it isn't. The resurrection of Jesus, the gospel message, is not just an intellectual agreement of facts. Like I, 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 I learn my math tables, so I learn the gospel and I agree mentally with it. It's not what it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is calling us to reorient our heart and our mind and our life. It's submission to someone else. It's yielding control of all of life, not just the things that are easy, but to yield everything over to him. It's turning from a life focused on self to a life focused on God. And maybe this morning you're not a religious zealot. Maybe you're not even religious at all as you watch this. But you can identify with the struggle of these religious leaders. A living King Jesus was threatening their identity, their way of life, the same as he threatens our identities and our ways of life. We find our identity in the kingdoms of our family, the kingdoms of our career, the kingdoms of our health, the kingdoms of our riches, the kingdoms of our political parties, the kingdoms of our intellect, even the kingdoms of our entertainment. And the kingdom of Jesus calls us to leave behind all other kingdoms and to give all your allegiance to the one true king. Don't put your hope in other kingdoms. Don't live as if they are the things that will last. During this time in our world today, God has stripped us of nearly all of our idols. Have you thought about it like that? Our sports, our work for some of us, our money, certain hobbies, even our socialization, gone. And we are finding out what kingdoms we are living for. Do Jesus and his commands threaten the kingdoms of your heart? Jesus calls us to leave it all behind and follow him And the power of a resurrected king puts every other kingdom on notice. So once again, as we come into the book of Acts, shortly after the resurrection, the gospel is going out. Verse 21 tells us all were praising God for what had happened. People were seeing the power of Jesus at work and they're believing and they're praising God. Verse 4 tells us the number of believers has grown to... 5,000? Kingdom expansion is going to be taking place all over the known world in the coming months and years? The kingdom is expanding numerically. Verse 32, the kingdom is expanding just in, as believers are growing to be more Christ-like. And at the center of their message is what we find in verse number 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is the resurrected Jesus that is the fuel that is driving this kingdom expansion. And it's a living king who gives confidence to people that true healing is possible, gives his people boldness to share the message of salvation through Christ alone, and he gives all other kingdoms notice of his complete authority over them. Because a dead king does us no good, but a living king, better yet, a resurrected king, one who has lived and died and and came back to life, This is a king of power and authority and victory. We all want good leaders. 
Even today, we want leaders to emerge in our country to lead us through this time of crisis. And we're willing to follow rulers and authorities when we feel that they're worthy. This morning, can I, can I just say to you, Jesus is worthy to be followed as king. In this story, not only does Jesus show his power and authority, but he shows his compassion, he shows his patience, he shows his mercy, he cares for the weak and vulnerable, he heals the cripple, and he brings eternal healing to all who would submit to his rule. His kingdom isn't just for the elite, it's not just for the powerful, it's for those who see their need and desire true healing. Will you come to him today? Whether you have not yet believed or whether you are a Christian that has been caught up in the kingdoms of this world, come to the King whose reign will never end. And let's live in light of our true healing and be bold in sharing the gospel. May his kingdom expand through us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so so thankful for your death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no salvation. But we rejoice that you didn't stay dead, that you rose again, and you have all power and authority. Thank you for being at work in the heart of your people. We know that your kingdom, your kingdom, just like it expanded in the early church, is expanding today, and you are bringing in your sheep, and you will not lose one of them. We are so thankful for that. Father, I pray that as we go our way, that we would, we would rest in this resurrection of our Savior, knowing that it brings about our true healing, that we would be confident and proclaim this message, that we would examine our own hearts to see what kingdoms we truly live for and realize that really in the blink of an eye, every other kingdom has fatal flaws and could could fall in a moment. But your kingdom will endure. And we look to you as king today. Challenge us where we're at, in our homes, with our families, until we meet again. In the name of the resurrected king, amen. Well, thank you for joining us this Easter morning. We pray for your spiritual growth and your physical health often. Uh, the leadership does. I know many of you are praying for one another. We'd love to see and hear from you. So maybe, maybe you can take a picture of your family, worship time, wherever you're at, uh, and post it on the church Facebook page under, uh, under the post for, for this service. But we do miss you. And so Uh, As we end, let's end our time with these words of confession from Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Uh, Read along with me as we end our time. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have a great Easter, everyone. Thank you.